Welcome to Whiskey and Wonder. <laughs> Why are we laughing? I almost forgot to hit the applause. Oh, I turned okay. And completely started. Ah, uh, welcome to Whiskey and Wonder, guys. Where I almost forget to do something every, every week. single week at the intro. <laughs> And uh, where I mess up basic English language every single week, multiple times a week. You know, that's just how we do it here. How we roll. We the best. Or something. Yeah, we're something at least. <laughs> I'm Megan. I'm Tyler. And uh, this is Whiskey and Wonder. Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's We're starting off great. We're starting off great. Uh, uh, what were you hot. about to say? This is a podcast where we review a whiskey and uh, teach the others something new and interesting, something wonderful. Yes, it is. We're on episode 31 today. It feels like a lot longer since we were here last. It feels like, it feels like it's been a couple of weeks, but it was literally just last week. It really it feels like this week has been yeah, something it, else. It has been. Um, like, yikes. So if you're checking us out on YouTube, our channel is... Uh, Whiskey and Wonder on YouTube. You can see all our other social medias and emails and whatnot up on the screen there. Uh, if you're not checking us out on YouTube, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe and smash that um, bell like button. Bell Hit the thing. bell button. Yeah, whatever. Whatever. <laughs> I'm pointing at the wrong freaking computer screen over here. Uh, yeah, do uh, all. Like, subscribe. Rate us five stars. Rate us one star. Just give us some feedback. We, we have a case of the olds. Oh, my God. Uh, yeah, I'm 80 mentally. <laughs> If you're checking us out on uh, podcasts, uh, you can find us at whiskeyandwonder.com. Uh, we're on Instagram at whiskey podcast and all the rest of them you can see in the show notes. I'm not going through it all today. Amen, brother. Yes. All right. We're going to jump into some announcements here and I'm yes. going to give Megan the floor to talk to us about t-shirts. All right. So... The t-shirts are uploaded and uh, they should hopefully be live here in the next few days. So uh, assuming all things go well, next uh, next episode, we will have a link for you guys to get some t-shirts at our uh, website. Yes. Cool. We're, we're uh, very excited about these t-shirts. I'm excited to see what Megan has done. I'm not sure. Are they going to look? Anything at all like the t-shirt I'm wearing? I haven't decided if I'm going to upload that particular graphic okay. or not. Sure. Um, this might be custom. It might be. Y'all can't get this. It might be. Um, <laughs> so as of right now, this very second, no. Okay. It's not going to look like that. The bottle logo is special. Reserved. We might we might do a special release of it for like a week or maybe two weeks or something. Something. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe during our anniversary. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That would be good. Good idea. Write that one down. Oh. Write that one down. Matter of fact, I need my pen and paper too. Um, <laughs> our other announcement is that we are heavily looking into. Uh, getting some bonus content out to you guys. Um, things like interviews, maybe uh, a little bit more off the cuff than we normally are. I mean, at this point, if you've listened to us for a long time, we've kind of got a certain structure down on the podcast. And so 
maybe this will be a little more off the cuff. Maybe this could be a little more discordy, chit chatty. I'm, I'm, I think our schedules are both going to free up a little bit so that part of the reason we haven't done any uh, extra content at the moment is just because the only night we have free to do this, the only free time we have to do this, we're recording the podcast. Yep. Yep. Um, And so our schedules may be freeing up a little bit more to where we have more than just one night a week to get together and do stuff for the podcast. So Keep your eyes peeled for that. We'll have more info. We're looking at doing some extra stuff. Uh, and I will go ahead and say it will probably be behind a paywall. Um, nothing crazy. Looking at, at our Patreons. And yeah. We'll, we got to figure out the pricing and whatnot. Um, but anybody that's donating through PayPal or um, Patreon, you know, that we're, we're speaking to you here. And as always, we appreciate everyone of y'all supports. 100%. Um, we're actually, we're, we've got a, chunk chunklet saved up at the moment from y'all's donations we're discussing on what we want to do with that and i think we've got a plan formulated so Mm -hmm. we're excited for that indeed um and again thank you guys for the donations and support and i know i joked about it earlier about hitting the smash the bell button and whatnot on youtube but Excuse that's me. uh that's serious please do that it, it is it's like a tongue-in-cheek joke uh, um yeah yeah if you could rate us rate us subscribe, review us subscribe yeah. send us emails yeah please uh, give us feedback we appreciate it all no matter how badly you rate us or how good you rate us whatever your feedback is we will address it even if we may not agree with your feedback or we may have reasons for not doing it i know we've had some of that stuff in the past but we do take it to heart yes um so thank you guys for supporting us definitely you make this possible all right i guess on that note it's time to just jump right in okie dokie opening the bottle all right this week we are drinking a tennessee whiskey we are drinking the Uncle Nearest 1884 Small Batch Whiskey. This was a donation. Um, Tyler's showing it up to the camera. If you're on YouTube, this was a donation from... Friend Shelby and her brother, John. Brother John. Yes. Brother John. All right. Um, and if it looks open on camera, it's because it is. They sampled it and then gave it to us. I have not tried it. And I obviously have not tried it either. So. Uh, I am stealing this description from another whiskey review site. Um, so if this uh, sounds familiar to something you read or you Google it later, yep, it's not something I wrote. Filtered through sugar maple charcoal via the Lincoln County process, the Uncle Nearest whiskey brand was created to honor the whiskey making process of the man who many now refer to as the godfather of Tennessee whiskey, Nathan Nearest Green. He was the first known African-American master distiller, and his brand is now one of the first in history of whiskey to celebrate an African-American. The first phase of the new Nearest Green Distillery opened in September 2019 in Shelbyville, Tennessee. The distillery offers a premium whiskey tasting and hard hat tour, as well as a weekly founders tour. 
You, wait, you said a hard hat tour? Yes, because they uh, still have portions of the distillery that is under construction. Oh, what? A, okay, interesting. Uh, da, da. You made me sorry. lose my place. I, sorry. <laughs> uh, the 93 proof whiskey is a minimum seven year old blend that honors nearest memories through his family's personal involvement in the blending process. Each batch is created by a different descendant of the master distiller himself, with the back label of each bottle signed by the relative who curated that batch. Victoria E.D. Butler, great-great-granddaughter of Nearest Green, shareholder of Uncle Nearest and its director of administration, said at the time this whiskey was released that, quote, If my great-great-grandfather were alive today, I know how proud he would be to see us keeping his legacy alive through the continued growth of this brand. I speak for our entire family when I say we're thrilled to be a part of his legacy. So, so I've been sitting over here admiring this beautiful color. It's very, it's a beautiful amber color. If you can see that on YouTube, if you're not on YouTube, just take my word for it. <laughs> it is a very nice, rich Yes, it amber. is. And I've been looking at the legs and... They're very thick. I would say it's it's viscous. Um, and to be quite honest, if I was better at this, I would remember what that means. I think that means it's higher alcohol content if memory serves. Um, if not, somebody correct me on that, uh, what the legs mean on whiskey. Um, <laughs> but as far as smells go, it smells amazing. It, I, I want to know what you smell because I smell something that I don't think I should be smelling. And I want to know if you smell it. I smell... Uh, immediately, the first thought that came to mind was green apple. Oh, nope. Not what I'm smelling. What are you smelling? I've never smelled this in a whiskey before, so I don't know if I'm losing my mind or not. I smell banana. It smells like banana pudding. Like vanilla banana pudding. You're crazy. <laughs> Give me your glass. Okay. <laughs> I'm telling you, like, I smell... Vanilla banana. I smell it in yours too. I got nothing. I got a very, very mild. I'm talking like it burned one nose hair. <laughs> That's how mild it was. Um, case of burning my nose hairs, but. I feel like the more I swish it, swirl it around, the more banana I smell. I don't know. What's wrong with me? Maybe I'm mislabeling banana. Okay. You're right. You're right. I can smell it. Ah! The more I swirled it, you're right. It smells just like uh, banana pudding. Hell yeah, it does. Oh, look at that, guys. I am oh, the that's, smartest. That's sweet. Right? I but, mean, it smells fantastic. Yeah, if I just dive in, I get a, a green apple smell. Okay. Okay. But I if get I where swish you're coming it, from. Yeah, if I swish it, I get banana. That's, That's cool. interesting. That's super cool. I yeah, if I stop swishing it and I just smell it, I get green apple. I think it's safe to say this one's it smells fruity. <laughs> fruity and sweet. A little sweetness and a um, little spice. 
maybe a little. I'm not getting a whole lot of burn your nose hairs. Yeah, like I like, said, just it was like a, a kiss. Like, nah. It was it was a burn one nose hair. That's all. It, <laughs> that's all it did. Just, it just one. Just one. Just one's gone. Oh right. wow! I am super stoked to try this whiskey. All right. So what are we supposed to smell? We are supposed to smell waves of fresh churned butter and honey on toast. <laughs> Not banana. <laughs> um, homemade rice crispy treats. Uh, okay, I can kind of see that. Yeah, it, that's a marshmallowy smell. I can definitely smell. Um, maybe that's what I was mistaken the banana pudding for because banana pudding's sweet, kind of like a. It's got the banana taste, but it's kind of marshmallowy too. If you take the banana out, vanilla pudding. Yeah, kind of marshmallowy. Yeah. Um, on a different site, they say sweet corn, dusty grain, lemon, which I guess could be maybe the green apple we're smelling. Yeah, maybe that's citrus. Um, cream custard, which is, there's that. Vanilla pudding. Vanilla pudding. Smell. And banana. Whiskeymonster.com says they smell banana. Okay, so, so we're not crazy. It's not. We're not we're not completely crazy. No, we I would line up with the second one. Yes. Better. Yeah, I like what the second one said way more than uh and I agree with it way more than uh the first. So, I'm going to go off what the second one says. Have you All tasted right. it yet? I have not. Okay. I'm down the hatch. Okay. Um you know, totally off topic, but Jeff Goldblum is going to be doing a D&D podcast. That was just announced, and I am stoked. He weirds me out. He weirds you out? Uh, so I had seen Jeff Goldblum in Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Didn't know who he was. Never really saw him again after that uh, until my friend in college showed me the league, and he showed me the episode where Jeff Goldblum's character tried to sleep with his son's wife. Like... Did- Talking with... Did you not see the original Jurassic Parks? Yeah. The Lost World? Is that the original? That's the second one. He wasn't in the original. Oh, yeah, he was. Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. Life Finds a Way. Yeah, I knew him from Jurassic Park. Let me say it that way. Um, I'm sorry. I got my movies confused there. But, um, yeah, I, I he weirded me out when I saw him in that episode of The League. His character weirded me out. That's fair. All right. Um, what did you taste? A little bit more spicy to taste, definitely. I'm getting... It's not burning down my throat, but it's burning on my tongue. Even after I swallow, the burn's kind of sticking on my tongue a little bit. Um, but it didn't go down my throat, which is kind of a strange sensation. That is because it burned down my throat and not on my tongue. What? <laughs> I had the opposite effect i didn't get a burn in my mouth it burned it's still burning down my throat oh weird mine's just my tongue burning i guess we swallowed it different or we did something different than each other i i'm tasting yes there's definitely burn there i'm tasting sweetness Mm -hmm. and oh man let me taste it again i want to say it's fruity definitely fruity um it finishes with a banana. Like, if I go, nom, 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 I can taste, like, banana Laffy Taffy. I did not get that. Um, 
that I would say that fruit is I've got an aftertaste of lemon. Okay. <laughs> I, hey, she said to do that. I didn't get banana on that. You didn't? No. Oh, I get banana. I don't. I, um, I'm I'm left with an aftertaste of lemon. Um, but I would say that first fruit, it it's a combo of sweet and uh I can't pinpoint I, I want to say it's apple. I still think it's apple, but I don't know. It definitely isn't until the aftertaste that I get banana, so it might be apple. I'm getting something florally, maybe initially. Um, I I don't quite know how to describe it, um, but I'm definitely getting like a floral and a marshmallow, um, some burny, some spicy, maybe like a cinnamon or um, some sort of like winter spice, cinnamon or nutmeg or... Some, something along those lines. Um, I, all right. So that time that I focused on the middle of it, I would say the immediately when it touches my tongue, it's sweet with a fruit that I'm going to say is, is apple. It's something that's a little bit tart, but is also, and maybe this is the sweetness of the whiskey in there. Um, I'm going to say it's apple. The middle, I'm getting a little bit of the kind of, I don't want to say marshmallowy, but just kind of vanilla flavor, just a small amount, but it's overwhelmingly toast. Burnt toast is what I'm tasting. And okay. then the finish is banana, lemon. <laughs> It's lemon and it burns as it finishes down my throat, my throat hole, to quote Little Nick. It's like a flambéed banana. Is speak English, please. It is like a flambéed banana. What, what does flambéed mean? It is a. I feel like you just like you're taking a banana and like throwing <laughs> it up in the air, like that's what I. I feel like that's what you do to pizza dough. You flambé it. <laughs> It's, uh, you cover it in an alcohol and you light it on fire. It's used in desserts, like Bananas Foster. Why would you waste a banana by lighting it on fire? Are you, it tastes so good. It's, the alcohol burns off. You eat the The, fire? No. (laughs) It burns away. Oh. Like, the fire is there for a second. It burns away and you have this really nice, warm, gooey dessert afterwards. So are you telling me it's like a... You know when you roast a marshmallow and you like catch it on fire and it like burns the outside of the marshmallow, but it's not, gooey and nice in the not center. Not quite. Oh, I have so much to teach you. I am not cultured. <laughs> this sounds like a very cultured dish. It, I don't bananas even like bananas. Foster is not a cultured dish. It's delicious. It's like unhealthy it's, as fuck. I feel like that's something you get when you go to like the Brazilian steakhouse uptown. <laughs> Okay, problem. I I am not mm, cultured. I have never been there. I I've never been there here in North Carolina. I've never been to one period. Okay. Um I will say the only place I've ever had true bananas foster is when we would do oh god, Easter dinner, Easter brunch, something. It was really 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 fancy ass dinner thing at a hotel um that my 
entire family would go to back in Colorado. Um, I believe it was at the Inverness Hotel, if anyone knows where that is. Um, but it was like a a very swanky dinner that we would go to. And I remember Bananas Foster there. I feel like that's uh, one of those dress-up dinners. Yes, it was definitely a dress-up dinner. My family has never once had a dress-up dinner. It's nice to go to a dress-up dinner every so often. I not disagreeing. I'm just that's, was, that's where I come from. <laughs> My was, family has never once had a dress-up dinner. It was real fun when I was in high school. It's a little like goth emo oh, yeah. kid because <laughs> I would go in in my long trip skirt and like I had a emo like jacket basically looked like something um Gerard Way would wear you are talking way over my head I don't know who that is MCR you're oh. an emo kid yeah I know their music I don't know what they look like okay it's it's I would get stares yeah because I'd be I can, I can see oh, I'd be in stares. all black makeup and my hair would be dyed black, but I would have some weird color in it. And yeah. oh, it was nice. I'm sure I embarrassed the hell out of my family, but I loved every second of it. Oh, well, you know, that's what kids are for, right? Yeah, that's all right. They've gotten me back and embarrassed me. So we're all, it's all fun well, and I'm games. St- I'm and still family waiting wars. for your dad to write in. All right. <laughs> Papa Cross, this is a personal challenge. I'm issuing it to you. Your daughter just talked about how she embarrassed her family. Let's hear another embarrassing story about Megan, like the drunk on the train thing. <laughs> that was great. All right. I'll give you applause for that one. All right, Dad. You've heard him. Challenge issued. Mm. I, I, fully ex- I fully expect he's going to email me back with the subject title challenge accepted. <laughs> that, that would be, be pretty clever. Um, you now have given him that idea. I'm so. gonna, I, I can cut that out if I need to. <laughs> um, so are we going to go with sweet up front with a little fruit? What did you taste in the middle? I think that was the only place. Bernie. Like, Bernie? Yeah. Burned toast like was a really toast? good way okay. to, to put it or like burned wood or definitely a fire char- char- charcoal type smell okay. or taste. Okay. All right. Um, well, that was we were all over the place on yeah, that we one. But we are supposed to be tasting a very soft and delicate palate with butterscotch, honey, smoked wood, and apples. <laughs> this is my smug face. Actually, this is my proud face. So we both have gotten apple and banana right and thought the other one was crazy for a second. So that's, that's impressive. I'm proud of you. That was yeah, pretty good. I'm I'm proud too. Um the finish is nutmeg, browned butter and banana. Lemon. Banana. Lemon. Okay. All um right. all right. We'll let you guys know what we think here at the end as we sip on this whiskey a little bit more and uh time goes by. It's time for the wonder segment. I literally thought you hit the wrong button there for a second. I thought I did for about five <laughs> seconds into it. I was like, it says it's time segment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I was like, sure, that was wrong. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, well, all right. 
It is my week to teach you something. And this is a topic that had actually been suggested to me by multiple people that I forgot people wanted to be as a subject until I was trying to figure out what subject I wanted to do this week. And then Houston brought up this person and I was like, oh yeah, I had a few people like say like, hey, do blah, blah, blah. So I am going to learn you today about the greatest con man of all time. Yes, I can get behind this. I love con men. Oh, you're going to love this guy then. If you want to know how much I love con men, go listen to the very first episode <laughs> where I pulled for the guy who extra cheated. cheated. He extra cheated. He drove in a car in a marathon. <laughs> Work smarter, not harder. Cheers to that, my dude. All right. I'm going to see if this name sounds familiar to you. Frank Abagnale Jr. Abagnale? Mm-hmm. No. Not ringing a bell, but I okay. feel like I may or may not have heard it at some point. Okay. Just we'll, the name. We'll get to the end, and I'll see if maybe you do know the name. Um sure. But with you being you, I'm not going to hold my breath. And if you actually know the name, I'm going to be shocked. Okay. I figured that was like a trick question I yeah. should know from another yeah. podcast or something. Something along those lines. We'll talk about okay. it. So oh. Frank. <laughs> Go on. Frank Abagnale Jr. was born April 27th of 1948 in New York. He was the third of four children born to French mother Paulette and Italian-American father Frank Abagnale Sr. His father owned a stationery store in Manhattan that he often worked at during his adolescence. He grew up with his family in Bronxville, New York, and attended Iona Prep, a Catholic all-male school, up, up through the 10th grade. So from kindergarten to 10th grade, he was in an all-male Catholic school. Now, one day while he was in class, a priest pulled him from the classroom and said that a brother was going to drive him to the courthouse. And when he got there, it was a family courthouse. There, a judge was waiting with his mother and father. Abagnale said he was blindsided when they told him his parents were getting a divorce. Since he was 16 years old, he needed to announce which parent he was going to live with. Rightfully upset and panicked, Frank ran from the room. The judge called for a 10-minute break while the 16-year-old composed himself. But he didn't return, and no one could find him. Frank Abagnale Jr. had fled. He wouldn't see his mother again for seven years, and he never saw his father again, his deepest regret. He went into New York City and searched for similar delivery jobs that he was used to working at his dad's store. But he was treated like a 16-year-old kid. He was only given part-time hours to work. He was not given a very good wage, and he realized he was not going to be able to live on what he was making and while people thought he was just a 16-year-old kid, he wasn't going to be getting anything better. 
either. Now, Frank Abagnale was six foot tall and had had some premature gray hair ever since he was a child. His friends always joked during Sunday school when they had to dress up that he looked more like a teacher than a student. So he decided to alter his ID. 1960s New York driver's licenses didn't have photos and were very simple and very easy to alter. So he decided to alter his birthday. He turned the four in 1948 to a three, adding 10 years to his age, making him appear 26. It worked. And he did start earning more money. Now, years earlier, his father had opened him a banking account and he carried a checkbook with him everywhere. He never had any problems strolling into any bank to cash a check and he always would just use it for small things. He needed to get $10 here, $15 here. Never had any issues. But his friends always like would rag on him on how easy it was for him to just go and cash a check. No one else could just go into a bank and cash a check like that. Some specialists and historians argue how and why he was able to cash checks so easily. It maybe was because of how he was raised with his manners and how he spoke well. Maybe he got lucky or maybe he was so charismatic and charming that he could bat his eyes and get his way. All right, hold on. I'm I'm confused. I don't mean to interrupt, but mm-hmm. I don't understand like what the check cashing thing is like is he talking about taking someone else's He could like go cashing a check and depositing it in his account or getting cash money for Getting it? cash money for a check. Going into a bank and saying, "I have this check I'm going to write you a check for $15. You give me $15 cash. Okay. Back before bank cards were a thing. Gotcha. That's, that's how you, how you okay. got cash. And so his friends were basically saying, oh, gee, we're late teens and you're getting away with this, but we can't do this. Exactly. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah, exactly. Not even late teens, mid teens, 16. I, I added a couple years on that. Just, I didn't know if some time had gone by. No, okay. no. Gotcha. He's 16 and he's living in New York city alone. On his own. Yep. Frankly, the how in 1960 doesn't matter. For whatever reason, he was successful. But he didn't have an infinite amount of money. And his checks began to bounce. And he realized that he needed to do something differently. And that's when he saw a flight crew leaving a hotel and got an idea. First, he called Pan Am. Pan Am Airways was one of, if not the biggest airline at the time. He called Pan Am pretending to be a pilot that lost his uniform at the hotel cleaners. He had a flight to make and was in dire straits to get suited up to fly. It was that simple. He was sent to the well-built uniform company in New York City. The salesman fitted him and informed Frank that the $283 uniform in 1960 would be deducted from his next paycheck. Perfect. Frank filled out the form with a fake name and a fake employee ID number 
and left, now the owner of a Pan Am pilot uniform. However, this uniform didn't have his wings or the emblem on his hat. He had to do something different to get those. Only Pan Am itself could issue you your wings and your emblem. So he decided to stroll into Kennedy Airport at Hangar 14, which is where Pan Am stores were located. And he told an employee he needed new pens because his two-year-old took them and hid them somewhere. The man laughed at his story and handed him the wings for his tunic and the emblem for his cap. Now, he needed an idea and knowledge about life of a pirate. Of a pirate. <laughs> Pilot. I was doing so good. <gasps> Dang um, it. That's okay. I had something I wanted to say. Number one, <clears throat> this guy embodies uh, the... If you look and act like you belong, you belong. Oh, you have no theory. idea. Hunty, you have no idea. I don't know what just happened there, <laughs> but I'm going to I'm going to ignore it. Anyway, <laughs> second off, I've already established I was born in the wrong time. I should have been born this time or earlier. You think you would have been a con man like this? Oh, easily. <laughs> easily. Okay, FBI agents listening to this, he's kidding. Am I? <laughs> or, or am I? <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, what I meant to say was now he needed an ID and knowledge about life as a pilot, not a pirate. Army. If you want info on pirates, go check out the Edward Teach episode. Yes. Um, you're, I'm rubbing off on you. You're rubbing off on me. We're, we are together. Together we make one smart. <laughs> Amen. I like that. Um, all right. So now he called Pan Am again. But this time... He was pretending to be a high school student reporting for the paper. A pilot in the crew lounge happily supplied him all of his answers. He also taught him about deadheading, where a pilot flies on, a company, on company time with a different airline to get to another airport where they're scheduled to fly. They get a pink slip from the airline, show it to their flight attendant, and get put on the jump seat in the cockpit. Now, at this time, this is obviously way before 9-11, and there wasn't a whole lot of flight regulation stuff yet, so I actually asked friend Dave of the podcast, who is an airline mechanic, if deadheading is still a thing, and it is. Um, yes, it is. Which, oh, my Lord. I was not aware that it was still a thing that could be done because it is it it's two companies that do not work together that are opposing factions but they'll they'll let another pilot fly with them in the jump seat. Oh, two uh, two opposing companies will do yeah. that? I didn't I didn't know that. I know deadheading, I don't know if it's still called deadheading, but I have uh uh you met my friend Adam. Mhm. Mm uh, his brother is also an airline mechanic, but he has, unlike 
friend Dave, he isn't stationed in one place. He has one plane. Oh. And so he flies around the world with this plane. God, sign me up for that job. I know. Wow. He sits there and plays Nintendo Switch, flying and- all over the world, and only has to work if something breaks. As sign me up I for that job. It. I am in the wrong career. Same. Not really. I mean, I love my job, but man. I stand by what I said. Well, yeah, that's okay. <laughs> so he asked all these, he played 20 questions with the pilot, basically about like, well, how much does an average pilot make? What type of school do you need? Where do you get your license? Blah, 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 blah. Just anything he would need to know to be a pilot, he asked this guy. Next, Abagnale called an ID firm off Madison Avenue pretending to represent a new expanding airline. He chose an ID firm off Madison Avenue because he figured if it was off Madison Avenue, it would be really swanky and really nice. The salesman pretended he knew exactly what Frank was talking about and eagerly gave him a pitch for his company supplying their cards. Abagnale stated that he'd love to take a sample ID to his bosses, and the salesman took his photo on the spot, and he left him with a nearly perfect Pan Am ID. Except it didn't have their logo or their name. But Frank fixed that problem, too. Where there's a will, there's a way. Strolling past a hobby store, Frank saw displays of model airplanes, many of them commercial, hanging in the windows, including a Pan Am jet with their logo and brand decaled along the tail and fuselage. This man is a genius. Oh, you have no idea. He, needs, he, he should be worshipped. Oh, we are barely, barely into his story. He's still 16? He's 16. Oh, Lord. I will tell you, right, all this happens before he turns 21. I'm going to tell you that right now. The whole now. story? The whole story. Oh, my Jesus. Now, what were you doing at 16? <laughs> Whoa, okay, never the mind. The first thing that came to, <laughs> came to mind, <laughs> jerking in my in my bedroom. <laughs> Every teenage boy finds themselves... I think that's what most every, most, every teenager. most teenagers yeah. do at sixteen, uh, but not not Frank Abagnale. <laughs> oh, he might have done that too. Oh, he was really good with the ladies. He didn't need to jerk it. <laughs> uh, well, all right. <laughs> so he saw this model jet, went in the store, bought the model, and back at the hotel that he had been living in. He chucked all the pieces of the model away, the wings and body and everything. He didn't want the plane. He and wanted the, decal. the decals. And once they'd been applied and dried to his ID, they looked printed on. Frank said he could have attended a Pan Am board meeting and no one would know unless they looked at his ID under a microscope. It took him longer to fake the FAA's pilot license. But even that he succeeded at by using a decorative plaque engraved in silver and mounted on 
hard wood, meant to be a gift for pilots to hang on their walls. So he was flipping through magazines and he saw an advertisement at the back of the magazine for this company that made plaques of your diploma or your license or whatever for professionals so they could hang it on their wall and be like, look, I am wealthy. (laughs) (laughs) Not what I thought you were going to (laughs) say. Um, and so he wrote them pretending to be a girl that was buying it for his boy, for her boyfriend as a gift. He was a pilot. He needed it quick. Said that she didn't have the actual copy of the license, but since it's a standard FAA license, if she can supply the information, can they just make a plaque? No problem. You give me his name, you give me the numbers that are on there, we don't need to see it, we'll just make it for him. So, he ordered this plaque off the back of a magazine and then managed to con a print shop into turning the plaque into a wallet-sized ID card that he could carry with him that every pilot had. He did this by claiming that his decorative plaque had been a gift from his girlfriend and he wanted to be able to remember her everywhere he went. So he wanted it immortalized in something he could fit in his pocket. And apparently this print shop had no idea that that's literally what the FAA license looks like. Why would they? Probably never needed to see one before. They don't so. fly their pr- print shop. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it. I we live in the world of technology, so I don't. I didn't I just, know what it would look like. It's 2021. But you could Google it. But would I? I mm. if I worked in a print shop, okay, sure, I don't care. Here you go. Oh, that's a good point. Especially if I'm only getting paid seven twenty five an hour. Mm. All right, whatever. Here you go, boss. See ya. Oh, that's a good point. You know what? Maybe he could get away with this today. You could still... Uh, he'd have trouble with doing a pilot, but he could get away with something else. Okay. With other things. Right. I I mean, people are still as uncaring and... Oh, I don't want to say stupid, but... Naive? Naive. There you go. As, as always. That's fair. So they printed him off this... ID card and it looked legit and it even had the signature of the head of the Federation Federal Aviation Agency printed on it so now he could walk right into LaGuardia Airport like he belonged and could travel anywhere in the world for free that's not this whole time I've been expecting him to like get behind the wheel of a plane, so to speak. But I see what he's doing now. He's deadheading all around the world, traveling for free. Damn. Pan Am estimated that from 16 years old to 18 years old, and just under the time of two years, he flew more than 1 million miles on over 250 flights to 26 countries. 
And Pam M made sure to put on record that even though he paraded as a Pan Am pilot, he never took foot on a Pam Am plane or any type of Pam Am property. He did everything through other companies because he didn't want anyone to see any discrepancies in his ID or anything else. Wow. Now here's where he's even smarter because he kept a notebook on him at all times when he was in the cockpit, when he was just waiting for flights and he would write down any information he learned about planes, about the jargon, about flight crews and, you know, common people who fly together. And the more he sounded, he knew what he was talking about, the less suspicious he appeared because he could walk into a jump seat, sit down and say like, oh, well, where are you guys coming from? They could say, oh, we're, we're coming from Miami. And he said, oh, did you see red? And they'd be like, yeah, we love red. His wife is blah, blah, blah. Frank had never met red, but he heard people talking about him, wrote it down. And now he could make that personal connection to another person. It was two years into the con on National Flight 106 from New Orleans to Miami that he first got busted. The crew he was flying with had stilted conversations with the tower. They asked for Frank's Pan Am ID and his FAA license. And his fakes were so good that the National Pirate Pilots read his numbers off to the control tower and said, this looks 100% legit. This is fine. Like, I don't know why the hell they're asking about you, dude. Like, this looks like my ID. Whatever. They gave it back to him. But Abagnale knew he was in trouble. He was immediately detained at the gate and spent hours in the sheriff's office awaiting the FBI. But Lady Luck is his friend. The agent came and collected numbers of various flight crews he flew with. He had these numbers because of his notebook. So he was able to write down, oh, I flew with stewardess Mary Jane on such and such date. You can call her and confirm that. He was a jump seat, but he flew with her. And they called up several different uh, stewards and stewardesses and pilots and all of them confirmed, like, yeah, we know Frank. We fly with Frank all the time. He's a pilot for Pan Am. They all told the agent that, of course, they knew the charismatic pilot. And it was a weekend. So Pam Am and FAA offices were closed until Monday. The FBI agent assumed it had been an error and apologized to Frank and let him go. Ah, get the fuck out of here, mm-hmm. kid. Yep, not even kid. <laughs> they had no idea he was 16 or Mister. 18 at this time. So he decided to lay low for a little bit. So Frank made his way to Atlanta, where he rented a one-bedroom apartment in a new luxury singles complex, which basically, I don't know if they still exist today. I've never heard of them. But it sounds like it's a retirement-style home for college-aged people. That's the best I could make of it. 
Basically, okay. it's all people who are single, young, down to party, just like a dorm almost. I don't know. But yeah, apparently that's what it was it sounds like, except I, I think we still have it now. It's just parts of town instead of Yeah, something like that. Like, I don't it, I don't know. Like in Charlotte, I would call that South End. Yeah. Um like you couldn't have kids to live there. Um Okay, South End might not be that true. Well, but it, yeah, you couldn't have kids. Um like parties were a thing that happened all the time. Ugh. <laughs> I know. It I sounds don't ever awful. Live near, it sounds ugh. awful. <laughs> Noisy um, neighbors. Oh, they're worse. And that might be why I don't know if they're still a thing because that sounds like somewhere I would be as far away from as possible. Yep. Uh, but anyway, we're old. We are. He signed a one-year lease and was weary of listing his occupation as a pilot. He didn't want the leasing office to call Pam M and try to speak with a supervisor. So he told him he was a pirate? So he said he was a medical doctor. Oh, uh, you know, nothing could go wrong with that. He specifically stated that he was a pediatrician from California. Now, he was able to sweep away questions and neighbors seeking medical advice. Like someone would come to him and be like, hey, can you look at my foot? And he'd say something like, well, that's a podiatrist. I'm a pediatrician. I do babies. You have to go see a podiatrist. And then people would ask him like, well, can you take a look at my runny nose? And he'd be like, well, I technically don't have a medical license in Georgia. It's only in California. I can't give you any medical advice. You have to go to the actual doctor. So he found ways to blow him off like that, where he still sounded like a legit doctor, but he never had to give any medical advice. Now, this worked fantastic until a new neighbor moved in downstairs directly below him. The man was in his 50s and going through a divorce. The man knocked on his door and introduced himself as Dr. Willis Granger, chief resident pediatrician of Smithers Pediatric Institute and General Hospital in Marietta. The leasing officer eagerly told Dr. Granger that Frank was a pediatrician too, just taking a year away from his practice to do research. And Granger was eager to have a colleague to connect with. And Frank had to make up his backstory on the fly. Abagnale decided he had to avoid Granger at all costs. But the man was persistent in his friendship and constantly sought Frank out. Some people can't just take a hint. Yep. Eventually, he grew to actually like him and agreed to have lunch with him at the hospital. Granger introduced him around, and Frank became addicted both to the thrill of the lie and the attention he got as he walked through the halls and was greeted with, Hello, doctor. Oh, now he's getting a big head. That's how, that's how all these things come undone. You get addicted to lie. Like you get the rush from like the lie. Oh, you got to be above that. We're not done yet. I know. This went as far as the hospital administrator begging Frank to help out for 10 days as a resident had a death in the family and he didn't have any medical doctors to take his place. But Frank was an MD, 
He wouldn't even have to do anything. He just had to be in the building while interns and nurses did the work. The hospital legally had to have a senior doctor on every shift, and they were desperate. Frank agreed. The fucking luck on this guy. He, I mean, Houston talked about him. He was a bard in D&D with all of his points and charisma, and he rolled nat 20s every time. Every time. Fucking luck on this guy. His entire life was just natural 20s. Anyway. <sighs> Damn. So he agreed for 10 days At to pretend. At least he didn't waste it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he agreed for 10 days to just hang out and be the senior doctor on staff. But 10 days became a month and a month became two. And he started reading medical journals and textbooks to learn more doctory things. He spent 11 months playing doctor before realizing he was playing with fire and quit deciding to leave Atlanta. Now, luckily, according to him, he never actually did anything medical. He never touched anyone or anything like that. And whenever they would call him to ask a question, you think of it like in scrubs or any medical TV, they would call, you know, the senior doctor in and be like, okay, well, this and this and this is going on. What do you think, doctor? But then the doctor would say, well, what do you think? You're the student. And the student answer would be like, yes, that's right. So he would get pulled into a room for ask for, ask for advice. Like, hey, doctor, Dr. Frank, what's, what should I do with this? Well, Dr. Smith, what do you think you should do? Well, I think I should order an EKG. That's exactly what you should do. Good job. I'm out. The luck on this fucker is just. He should have. Uh, was the lottery a thing? I, I hope. I don't know. If I don't think he don't, needed the. Look, well, he didn't need the lottery. We're going to talk about it. That's the thing. But I. Lottery is sheer chance. This is a. This is a charismatic fuck that. He's preying on the naivety and the. Inherent trust. And, that people have, yeah, just and and actually, that's ooh. that's funny. Not to get too sidetracked, but there, I I read a well, I didn't read it. It was a uh, audio book that went into a lot of um, examples of how people default to trust. <laughs> was and, it written by Frank Abagnale? <laughs> no, I forget who it was written by, but it was it gave some really good examples of Bernie Madoff people mm-hmm. doing something wrong, but people defaulted to trust him. He knew what he was doing. Yep. Um, Chernobyl. Chernobyl. Um, who's a Penn State coach? I know Joe, who you're talking Joe about. Joe Paterno. Joe Paterno and uh, Gene Sandusky. Uh, what was his name? Gene Sandusky, the guy that was molesting all the children. Um, hey. Like, people defaulted to trust. Yeah. And they, I think the statistic they gave in the book was like nine out of 10 people default to trust. Guess who? Authority who's, figures. Guess who's the one out of 10? The one who's fucking the, everyone over. No, guess who? Oh, I am Tyler. One of, I am one Tyler of the one Tyler, guys, is the one out of 10 that doesn't trust yes, anyone. Yes, I don't trust anybody. If I meet you, I immediately don't trust you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Damn. <laughs> That's just how my brain works. You are a threat. 
You are out. I'm I'm the ultimate cynic. Okay, well, I'm glad we ended up becoming friends. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this is a quote from Frank Abagnale. He says, quote, The fox who keeps to one den is the easiest caught by the terriers, and I felt I had nested too long in one place. And it was around this time that FBI agent Sean O'Reilly was ordered to drop all cases and just focus on Frank Abagnale. They had no real information on who Frank was. They called him just a John Doe. They just knew there was this con man that was really fucking around with lots of different things, bouncing checks and all sorts of shit. I don't feel like con man's the right phrase for that. I, um, uh, scam artist. He's a something. Okay, yeah, scam artist. See, but he's... He, uh, I feel like con man is the guy that's got the animatronic circus that's quote-unquote the fleas. The fleas. Yeah, the fleas. That's a, that's a con man. Or somebody selling you water and... Whiskey and bleach mixed together, like saying it's a oil. miracle tonic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, he he's he's a, he's just a scam artist. Yeah, he's something. He's a brilliant man. <laughs> he really is. Uh Frank Abagnale did not actually know that the FBI was looking for him, and would not know until years later on that the FBI had been onto him at the time where he started to get uncomfortable and feel like they were starting to look for him. He ended up in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and decided on his next con. He chose L.A. because of a stewardess he knew there. He met her in a terminal and told her he was a first officer with Pan Am, but also had completed his master's in law. Now, I told you before that he was a ladies' man. He got around and any hot chick that he could like put on his pilot's hat and wink at, he would try to get with. And this was one of those girls. She was a stewardess and she was very, very pretty. (laughs) For those of you guys not on YouTube, Tyler just took off his hat and was holding it over his heart. Like this man is his hero. So far he is. (laughs) Um, God, you have no idea. Anyway. What? I'm sorry. I have my headphones on. I said you have no idea. Oh. It's, he's just batshit crazy. So he told this stewardess that he was not only a pilot, a first officer at that, but, but he lawyer. also had completed a master's in law, and he didn't complete his bar exam because he liked flying too much. So he moved to Louisiana basically to fuck around with her for a little bit. And she introduced him to an attorney at a party and his new alias formed. He figured if he said he was a heart, he was a lawyer, he was going to go to the top and claimed he was a Harvard that graduated with a 3.8 GPA. Wait a minute. You said his new alias formed. Did he change his name? Yes, he changed his name all the time during this. Okay. I, to avoid getting confused, I never wrote down any of his aliases. Okay. I'm always going to refer to him as Frank Abagnale, but just know that he... I feel like I'm going to know one of these aliases. You might. 
Okay. But, I don't think I know the name Frank Abagnale, but I I think I'll know an alias. You might. We I can go through at the end and like list what his aliases were. Okay. Um but he I just I knew if I used his aliases I would confuse both myself and maybe you, but definitely myself. So and probably li- whoever's listening. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so fair enough. Frank Abagnale, just know he was not Frank Abagnale when he was doing all this. Okay. So he said that he attended Harvard, Harvard Law School, and graduated with 3.8 GPA. But he loved flying, so he never took the bar. He said he was grounded in Louisiana due to furloughs and was just enjoying unemployment. So the attorney suggested he take the bar in Louisiana. All he needed was his Harvard transcripts, and they'd let him in. Abagnale figured he already forged an FAA license. How hard get some transcripts <laughs> A be? transcript shouldn't be much harder, and he agreed. It took sweet-talking a friend into showing him a college transcript, a call to Harvard requesting their fall enrollment and law degree-required classes, a trip to a hobby store and a stationery store, a gold seal, and a notary press. Now... The sweet talking a friend into showing him a college transcript was kind of fucked up. He talks about it in his book, but basically it was a female friend and she was a, she had a, either a bachelor's or a master's in business. And she, he got into like how good were grades and she's like, well, I had A's and B's. And he said, well, no, you didn't. There's no way you're too pretty to be that smart. And so she showed him her transcript to prove that she had those grades and now he knew what a transcript looked like. Does this guy have like a photographic memory? I, it never says anywhere how he knows this shit. I think, I think this, that had to have been an advantage he had or he had a very good memory because you could show me a transcript and I wouldn't, I can't remember what my transcript looked like. He also was actively looking for it, though. That's true. Uh, I don't know. Either way, he's a genius. So, he gave his forgery to a clerk in the state examiner's office who looked at it, made a copy, and gave Frank the original back. He was scheduled to take the bar exam that very next Wednesday. He flunked. But because Lady Luck apparently likes his dick, the state gave him his score with his test, marked with what was right and what was wrong. He studied for six weeks and tried again. Failed again. But seven weeks later after that, at his third attempt, Frank Abagnale Jr., 19 years old, passed the Louisiana bar exam and became a practicing attorney. (laughs) This man lived more in three years than I've lived in 28 He lived more than three years than I think a majority of humans will live their entire life. Like, 
the ah mm, Frank Abagnale. If you're listening to this man, you are a true hero. Some kind of hero. Inspiration. <laughs> you're you're something, man. To to us scammers. <laughs> I say that, and I have not scammed anybody. He says. Uh, that's my that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> um, the state attorney general hired him as an assistant. Now, as an assistant, he was just a glorified coffee boy, but he, he made friends in several high places, and several judges liked him quite a lot. His style and charm were infectious. But then a real Harvard Law graduate came to town and began pestering Frank for all sorts of personal information. He couldn't avoid him, and the con in Louisiana was over. He sold his Jaguar. He bought a Barracuda and left Baton Rouge. He was a lawyer for eight months. His next adventure took him to Utah, where he decided to try his hand at teaching. I was going to say, did he become a Mormon? <laughs> he applied for a temporary summer job at a college as a professor of sociology. All he needed was his transcript from Columbia. An easy forgery, as Harvard was. Just when I'm out, they pull me <laughs> back in. So he claimed he had a master's in sociology from Columbia, forged a transcript, and was hired to teach the summer semester. <sighs> and he loved it. All right. By all accounts, he was a great teacher, and his students loved him. The college was sad to see him go come fall, and Frank almost stayed in Utah to continue teaching. But he knew he'd be caught in his lie if he stayed. So he left again. This time he left for California, and his small-time check bouncing became full-scale grand theft. He started to forge payroll checks. Pan M payroll checks. Ah, the circle is completing. It was lucrative. But Frank made a huge mistake in California. He met a fisherman. And not disguised as anyone, just as the kid from the Bronx, Frank Abagnale Jr. He connected with his fisherman and talked to him just as Frank. And they talked about cars and ended up bonding over the car that the fisherman was repairing that Frank's dad had back in New York and all sorts of blah, blah, blah. And so Frank took a paper out of his pocket and wrote down the address of his father's place in New York so the man could send photos of the car he was working on to his father. But as he was writing his address down, the fisherman got called away and told Frank to find him at the dock later on. So Frank slipped the paper back in his pocket. It was a blank check. A blank Pan Am payroll check. And it had a handwritten address for Frank Abagnale Sr. 
on the back. See, this is why you don't make friends with people. <laughs> Thanks. He cashed it. He cashed it and didn't realize until hours later. He called the bank in a panic. And in a, mo a moment, again, thanks to Lady Luck, he posed as an FBI agent. Told the teller he'd be there to collect the fraudulent check as evidence and beat the actual FBI by a mere five minutes. He realized that he'd officially made crime his career and devoted months to mastering his craft. The police chief, chief of Houston said of him, quote, Frank Abagnale could write a check on toilet paper, draw on the Confederate stakes treasury, sign it, you are hooked, and cash it at any bank in town using a Hong Kong driver's license for identification. And he did, and he could. He got rich from swindling checks. He was making more money than he could spend. By late 1967, still at just 19 years old, he had a cash asset of $500,000 and a scam for every occasion. He began traveling the world again. Again. Pilot? Yep. I can see I can see where this is going. You know what they say, the flame that burns the brightest or goes out fastest or some some shit like that. <laughs> I don't know what the quote is. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're trying to yeah. say. I know what you're trying to say. Yes. I get you. Uh, so yes, he began to travel the world again as a pilot deadheading. And he said, quote, Lady Luck was my personal switch box operator. Unquote. He said that of time and concedes that he was maybe trying. He said that of that time and concedes that he was maybe trying to get caught. He was being very flippant with everything he was doing. Now, one of my favorite cons to read about that I couldn't find a good place to fit in his like timeline narrative, but I had to talk about it was the night deposit box at the bean state national bank airport branch. Frank watched employees from every shop go and drop their cash deposit deposits in a box at night. And basically stores closed down. You have your deposit bag, you go drop it in. All the cash goes in, goes down a chute, blah, blah, blah. And Frank had an idea. The same uniform trick that he played on Pam M also worked with the security company. So he got a security company uniform and taped a sign saying, Night Deposit Vault Out of Order. Please make deposits with security officer. And they did. 30 people brought Frank bags of money and no one questioned how a box could be out of order and he made $62,800 in just that night of pure US dollar legal currency tax free tax free untraceable 
See, I, I'm noticing a theme or a motif in his schemes. Simple lies. Yeah. Simple lies. Oh, very, wow. Very simple. How is becoming a pilot and a lawyer and a doctor simple? I guess they started off real simple. The way he's done it, it's just been They've started off really simple, and they've just... And then he's had luck go his way, Mm. and he's very charismatic. That's a dangerous person Mm. when they don't have the right scruples. So I just had to throw that in there somewhere, and that was just... Yes, that's amazing. That was just the only place I could think to put it. Color me jealous. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So just know that that was one thing he did, but now we're going to go back to him disguising himself as a pilot traveling around the world, blah, blah, blah. Now, anytime he traveled around the world, he would have to go stay in a hotel. And people are used to pilots staying in the same hotel as their flight crews. Like the stewardess and everything are supposed to be with him. And he got annoyed by continually having to tell people that make up lies about why his flight crew wasn't with him. And he began to realize that in order to really perfect his con and make him seem as legit a pilot as possible, he needed a flight crew. So he schemed again. This time, he posed as a recruiter for Pan Am and sent out invites to apply to college co-eds. He then called the University of Arizona to confirm he, as a co-pilot, would go interview the girls. He chose girls he thought that wouldn't panic in a crisis if they discovered they were swindled. They had to be easygoing, devil-may-care, daring girls, and only those girls made the list. And he informed the girls they would be given a summer internship with Pan Am as a pre-training experience. They'd model and attend seminars. Now, again, this is another story that I had to just kind of throw in here, but it was during this time where he was waiting for these co-eds to apply for this job. So he's still living it up. And one night he was approached by a model. Really, she was an incredibly high-end hooker. And he decided to pay her for her time. $1,000. He said he needed to go cash in a cashier's check he had on him for $1,400. The girl told him to endorse the check to her and she would give him 400 cash difference. He agrees. And long after Frank was gone and she went to the bank, they told her it was a fake. Frank was paid $400 to sleep with a prostitute. (laughs) This, This fucking man. He's... He's something out of a, I don't even know. I'm bowing down to this man. <laughs> he, he's something else. My king. I so. will be your knight. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, um, later on, when she found out all this, she was 
pissed because of course no one gave her $400 back and no one gave her a thousand dollars. She was just out that money as just oh, oh, so Lord. fucking funny. Oof. <laughs> so finally summer comes and he toured all over Europe with his flight crew. And because of their presence, he amassed around $300,000. Now, several weeks after Pan Am received a stream of photographs from dozens of European cities, they launched an investigation. So what he would do is he'd get to a city and he'd find a professional photographer in the city in the yellow pages or whatever the hell they had that had back then. He would call saying, Hey, I work for Pan Am. We're currently in town. We're hoping to um, take pictures of some of our girls for advertisements. You take pictures of them. You send them to our corporate office. We'll pay you when we get the pictures. He wants to get caught at this point. Really? Really? Yes. So he... You got to stop before you get to that point. Yeah. So he he does that. He goes to dozens and dozens of different countries, and every one of them, he gets photographers to take pictures of his Pam Am girls, leaves the country, and long after the summer's ended, Pan Am starts getting all these photos and all these bills for these photos and they're all the same women. And so Pam Am goes, what the fuck is happening? Mm -hmm. And they launched an investigation. The FBI gets involved. But by this time, Frank's gone. In fact, Frank was entering a depression. He realized that he chose a life of crime and could never have a normal life. And he decided he wanted to start over. He wanted to move and settle down and create an honest life. He wanted a family. And so he decided to move to Montpelier, Mont, Mont, I looked this up, Montpelier, France, I believe is how they said it. You got to move to a place that doesn't extradite to the U.S. <sighs> We're going to talk about it. <laughs> so he decided to move to Montpelier, France, and that would be his safe haven. He was wrong. Montpelier was brilliant for quite some time. Frank bought a small college and was just getting truly comfortable. What is a college? Cottage. Okay. (laughs) Did I say college? Yeah, you said college. Like, damn. All right. He bought the whole thing. (laughs) Damn it. Yeehaw, yeehaw. Oh my! I did not mean to say college. Well, that, okay, that was a so mistake. cottage as as it, the words were coming out of my mouth, I I it registered in my head that you might have meant cottage. Yep. So Frank bought a small cottage and was just getting truly comfortable when Interpol surrounded him during a grocery trip. You know what I picture in my head. It's like when you're going to sit down in a chair and you're like, ah, and <laughs> immediately you sit down and like, ding dong, or, <laughs> or the oven's done, or the dog knocks something over. And like, basically. I just got comfortable. 
in his yeah. book, he was writing how he told the cashier, like, one second, I forgot my milk. I have to go get milk. And he went to the back of the grocery store. And by the time he came up back to the front, there were four Interpol guys standing with the cashier. Oof. Just waiting on him to come back with the milk. You got to pick, like, and this, what year was this? This was in the 70s? 60s. 60s um, By at this, this point? point, it was 60. It might still be 68, 67. Yeah, you got to pick that. Soviet Russia, somebody that doesn't extradite to the U.S. Well, I I don't know what he was thinking to be. Well, I actually do know what he was thinking, and you're about to, too. Okay. Major airlines don't serve Montpelier. So he didn't ever expect to have to deal with any flight person that he'd ever seen really finding him. However, it is a frequent spot that some flight crews like to stay. It is a nice little vacation area. An Air France stewardess saw Abagnale, watched him, jotted down his license plate number, and reported her suspicions. She said she... What a bitch. Yes, she said she knew who he was because she dated him. Okay, maybe not. <laughs> uh, maybe she's got a good reason then. Oof. Maybe and, I spoke too soon on that one. Uh, this speaks even more to Frank because he never learned who turned him in as he had been quite a ladies' man. So he dated several Air France stewardesses in his few years. And Tyler took off his hat and put it over his heart again. It's it's just going to stay there, I think. What a man. I have a <laughs> I have a boner for this guy. <laughs> I'm sure he's listening right there, now. There's no shame in it. I wonder if he Googles his name and like listens to shit about him. I don't know, but I hope he hears this. Uh, you were my <laughs> hero, sir. Uh, Forget the guy from episode one in the car. He's out the window. You, well, ta- you take the cake. Let's... Let's keep hearing the rest of the story. You might change your mind. We'll see. Uh-oh. Frank, you might not be his hero. Uh-oh. <laughs> Tune into the end of this ep- this uh, episode. Uh, so Frank never learned who he had been uh, turned Read in. Blah, 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 blah. But either way, he was caught, arrested, and charged in France. Now, his main scheme was his check fraud. And in his book, he goes over how he was able to do it. And it it's kind of a bit like Greek to me. But he basically, in checks he would fake, would change the routing number to as far away as possible so that the check, when a bank got it, would have this routing number on the other side of forever And so they'd have to send the check way far away. By the time that bank got the check, realized it was fake, he'd be long gone from wherever he cashed it. So when you you say the routing number for far away, you mean physically, like geographically Mm -hmm. far away, somewhere Mm like on, let's just say at this time... Yeah, other side, like the West Coast. He would cash yeah. it on the East Coast and send it Yeah, if he was in New York, Coast. he'd put the routing number as California. Gotcha. That so, doesn't work anymore. There's only like four banks. <laughs> and everything's digitalized, so it happens yeah, in the know. blink of an eye. Goddamn technology. 
I was born at the wrong time. <laughs> um, French prison was inhumane, and it might still be. I didn't look into it. Um, but French prison was awful. He was they ca- make him eat baguettes or something. Oh no 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 no! Uh, he was kept in solitary confinement without clothes in the dark not allowed to bathe or leave his meager cell at all. They would give him bread for his meals and occasionally watery chicken broth. So he did eat baguettes. (laughs) God damn it. (laughs) Dang it, Tyler. I mean, yes, he ate baguettes. Um, I mean, honestly, that's not that far off of what we do with people that are that are troublemakers here they they get an hour of well okay apart from the naked and i don't know about the dark he didn't have like a latrine he oh okay never mind then i i know as far as like they would get 23 hours in the hole and and one hour in the yard by themselves Mm -mm. i i just know that from a contact i have that is a retired sheriff's officer ah well uh this was this was this was bad. Okay. Um in fact, like if when they did like open the slot to give him his food and you could see he could see light in, his floor was covered with maggots and just it it was filth. He was just living in filth. Mm. He became infested with lice. And he was emaciated by sickness when he was extradited to Sweden. Now. Why Sweden? Because he bounced checks all over the place. And Sweden was the first to extradite him from France. France got him. Then Sweden took line and said, okay, we're next. And then it was Italy. And then it was Spain. And we're going to get into it. Anyway. So, um, he was extradited to Sweden. Now, he describes Sweden and the Swedish prison cell and everything as a fucking vacation. He said he was treated so well there that he didn't want to leave. So, first thing they did is they took him to see a doctor. They got him healthy again. They fed him well. And... At first, he was very reluctant to give any statements or anything about his crimes, scared with how long a time he would get in prison, until the judge told him that the max sentence in Sweden for forgery at the time, I don't know if it still is, but the max sentence in Sweden for forgery is merely one year, no matter the amount of money you steal. Murderers. Yeah, he probably he probably got that changed. Probably, murderers rarely get more than ten in Sweden at the time. Now, Swedish prisons attempt to rehab criminals. Thus, they are incredibly humane and considerate. He got the things he wanted. He was able to enjoy enjoy his life in prison. He could go out for his polo game. Yes, basically. Um, they would bring him food from restaurants to eat. Like it it 
it was a vacation, basically. Remind me if I ever need to go to jail. Go to Sweden? It, make it in Sweden. <laughs> Six months passed quickly. But Italy, Spain, Turkey, Germany, England, Switzerland, Greece, Denmark, Norway, Egypt, Lebanon, and Cyprus all made formal requests to extradite Abagnale for his crime to their countries. Oh, yeah. No, some of those you don't want to go to prison in. Even today. Yeah. Imagine in the 60s. Yeah. Yeah. Frank realized that he would never set foot on American soil ever again. At this point, he was just 21 years old, and the rest of his life would be in foreign prison. Some more torturous prisons than France's. But Lady Luck wasn't done with him yet. She called on him again. And a Swedish judge brought him from his cell and said, quote, Young man, I've had you on my mind for the past several days. I have, in fact, made many inquiries. And I think... Blah, in fact, I have made many inquiries into your background and your case. You are a bright young man, Mr. Abagnale, and I think you could have made a worthwhile contribution to society, not only in your own country, but elsewhere, had you chosen a different course. It is regrettable that you have made the mistakes you have made, we are both aware, young man, that if you are returned to Italy tomorrow, you might very well face a prison sentence of up to 20 years. And I have some knowledge of Italian prisons, Mr. Abagnale. What? They are very much like French prisons. And when you have served your sentence, you'll be handed over to Spain. I understand. There's very little we can do about that. We have to honor Italy's request for extradition, just as France honored ours. The law is not something we can flout with impunity. What if you had a chance to start your life anew, Mr. Abagnale? Do you think you would choose a constructive life this time? And Frank says, yes. Yes, he would do better if he could. He learned his lesson. He would do everything in his life differently. And at his affirmations, the judge continued, quote, I did something tonight. He said it shocked him that he did it. And had he been told just a few weeks before that he would do it, he would have thought the person was insane. And he continues to say, quote, Tonight, young man, I called a friend of mine in the American embassy and made a request that violet violates your rights under Swedish law. I asked him to revoke your U.S. passport, Mr. Abagnale, and he did. You are now an unwelcome alien in Sweden, Mr. Abagnale, and I can legally order your deportation to the United States regardless of any extradition requests pending. And so Frank Abagnale Jr. was going home. The judge reminded him as well, quote, 
In case you were not aware, once you have served your term in America, none of these other countries can extradite you. The law in the United States prohibits a foreign nation <clears throat> prohibits a foreign nation Oh, I didn't finish. I didn't write the quote down right. Shit. Uh, the law in the United States prohibits a foreign nation from taking you from the land of your birth. Basically, like if he serves time in America for the crime, Italy can't. Like, he served claim. his time. He, doesn't, he served, he his, served in Italy and then Egypt and, and then Spain, Spain and Greece, Saudi and Arabia <laughs> and Greece and Somalia and yeah. every other country on the planet. Exactly. This motherfucking judge. This motherfucking guy. <laughs> like. Oh my oh. God. It's not even fair how much luck this guy has and how many good people, naive people, and just probably stupid people he came across <laughs> in his life. Oh, I, man. Oh, I'm jealous. I was I, born at the wrong time. I am. Mm. Can you give me another splash? This is not a finger. I'm. Yeah, I dip back into. Yeah, give me, give me no splash, please. Anyway. I gotta measure out a, I'm gonna measure a finger out when we're done with this, so I can see what it looks like. What in this it actually glass. looks like yeah. in those glasses. Yeah. All right. <laughs> da 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 da. I'm okay. Only, I'm only giving you a splash of that much because I took another, what I thought was a smaller splash that ended up being about the same size. Okay. And it is affecting me. Have you eaten today? I have had a pork chop and a chicken breast within the last three hours. <laughs> okay. Oh, man. Anyway, uh, yes, yeah, so I am saving that last little bit for the wrap-up. I feel ya. So, I made a note here just to mention, because this is already, I'm sure, getting long. I have a lot of notes on him. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we're in an hour and thirty four minutes. Oh fuck! Um, so he gets flown to America. He escapes twice. Just wanted to throw that out there. Eventually, what a guy! Eventually, he was picked up by the FBI and held under a twenty five thousand dollar bond. His trial came, and he was thrown into prison where he would spend a mere four years before Lady Luck tossed him one more bone. He would be released if he agreed to work for the FBI and help them catch fellow scam artists and teach the Bureau how he did what he did. <laughs> Still my hero. Frank Abagnale Jr. has worked with the FBI for over 40 years. He teaches at the FBI Academy and lectures across the country. I have to, I have to switch my notebooks because I finally ran out on that one. He founded Abagnale and Associates, a company that advises companies on fraud issues teaching banks how to catch frauds. And Why? What are you doing? You're ruining <laughs> it for the rest of us. In 2015, he was named the AARP Fraud Watch Ambassador in charge of 
educating consumers with how to protect themselves from identity theft and cybercrime. In 2018, he began to co-host a podcast called The Perfect Scam, which is about scammers and how they work. Well, I got a new podcast, guys. (laughs) He has been a guest on The Tonight Show three times and was on the game show to tell the truth in 1977. It's basically a game show where there's three people who all claim to be the same person and the person who's like trying to win the money has to figure out who's the lighter and who's actually the person. So he was on that. Um, He had a cameo in Steven Spielberg's catch me if you can, a feature film from 2002 starring Leonardo DiCaprio as Abagnale himself in the story of his criminal years. The real Abagnale plays a French police officer that finally takes Leo into custody. From 16 years old to 21 years old, it is estimated that he earned $2.5 million in fraudulent checks, more than $20 million today. He started his career as a young teen just fucking with his dad's credit cards and by 16 went international. He has impersonated himself as a pilot, a doctor, a lawyer, an FBI agent, a security guard, a teacher, and a stockbroker. He has scammed hundreds of people across all 50 states and dozens of countries. And he served less than seven years before being released to aid the people he originally conned. He did change his ways. He fell in love, had a family, and today he lives in Charleston, South Carolina with his wife. He flies from South Carolina to Quantico every Monday and returns on Thursday. He is an expert in fraud and financial criminology. He aids in the development of modern cybersecurity so that no one will ever manage to be another Frank Abagnale Jr., so I figured I I just had a guess that he was going to be involved with a movie. I have heard of that movie. Now it's on my list to see. It is a great movie. It oh, I love Leo. Mm, it's probably my favorite Leonardo DiCaprio movie. Ooh, I don't know if I could say that. Anyway, it stars Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks. It is I knew it had amazing. Tom Hanks and I love Tom Hanks. I love DiCaprio too, but The Departed is Oh, the Departed's good. Departed's it's, it's the, good. my favorite. But man, movie. anyway, you gotta watch Catch Me If You Can. I, I will, everyone listening, watch Catch Me If You Can because almost everything in that movie happened at some point to him. There's I, a few things that they made that didn't happen, but a majority of it, it's his fucking life. It's amazing. You know, I'm seeing a pattern. Emerging from some of our recent topics. Things that occurred in the 60s and 70s where those people turned against the life they were living to help the government. And I'm specifically talking about the mafia episode and this guy. Stop (laughs) taking the easy way out and making it harder on everybody else. 
trying to prevent crime. Let everybody else make money in a in the way you did. I, <laughs> I shouldn't say that. That sounds terrible. That does sound but, terrible. Frank, I am not with his opinion. You're my hero, dude. Uh, Charleston's in uh, driving distance. Yeah, it is. We His wife owns a business down there. I didn't include the name of it because I didn't want anyone to bug him. But yeah. we could go down there and like bug his wife and... <laughs> try to pester him <laughs> I, I that just oh that that bugs the crap out of me when people like make an illegal living and then flip and then mm-hmm. I, I don't know why that he bugs flipped the crap hard yeah it just bugs the crap out of me like you you it's such a hypocritical thing yep to cover your own skin but uh, i applaud you for what you did sir that was ingenious that was a wild ride i went into this research, having only watched the movie, Catch Me If You Can. And I knew that he was a crazy con artist, but I figured a majority of the movie would like... Was exaggerated. Exaggerated. And I went in doing this research and reading his biography and reading all sorts of different articles on him, even stuff from like the FBI's own website... And I just, wow, a man like that existed. It's like the soldier I I did, like just too Hollywood for Hollywood. I think people genuinely exist like that. They have the perfect combination of luck, Mm. the perfect combination of charisma, the perfect combination of just everything in life. Rolled all the nat 20s. it's, It's one of those... Never rolled a one before in it, his life. It boils down to, are you inherently good? Or are you inherently, I don't want to say bad, because this guy didn't really, did he hurt anybody? It's looking at if you're, if you're lawful or if you're chaotic. Yes. Are you lawful or chaotic? Yes. Exactly. So, I know where I fall on that, unfortunately. I know where I fall too. Where are you? I'm chaotic neutral. I'm lawful. Really? Yes. Oh, I, I will, love rules. Rules are the best. I didn't. I would think we were switched, knowing our personalities, but mm-hmm. I will do anything I can to be the best of who I am. I will. I will step on people. I don't fucking care. I am a stickler for rules. It really, really bothers me when people don't obey the rules. Mm. To the point where, like, I like I see people run red lights regularly because we live in Charlotte where nobody can fucking drive. <laughs> and, oh, that drives me up a friggin' wall whenever I see stuff like that. Or if I mm. drive through uh, my local town is 35 mile an hour and I'll see people doing 45 or 50 and I'm just like, anytime I drive through here, there's a cop, but these people are doing 50 and are 35. And I look down at my speedometer going through that town on my way here and I was doing 55 and I was like, whoop. <laughs> There's never a cop around when you need one. Don't say that. Knock on wood. <laughs> Not for you, but <laughs> just in general. Yeah, I'm a stickler. I would say I'm lawful neutral. Wow. I I think most of our listeners, people who don't know us closely would flip those. I think you would yeah. be chaotic neutral and I'd be lawful neutral. I think that's why I have such an admiration for this guy is because I can't do what he did. I would try to do what he did. I wouldn't. I would take the safe route. 
I would want to try what he but did. I would want to try what he did, but I would never be able to bring myself to it. Mm, I could have, I, if I had the perfect storm like that, I would do it. Mm. I would do it. I, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to bring myself to it. I could. Mm. Weird. Good to know. Weird. Interesting. I know that Megan, I'll know one day Megan's going to step on me to oh. achieve bigger and better things. You just said you'd step on anybody to get ahead. <laughs> I need you for this podcast. Yeah, I know. Until you don't. I have no plans on learning how to do any <laughs> of yeah. that stuff. So I All will right. always need you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do you want this podcast to be huge. Something. Be oh. huge something. I was going to say huge, but then I was like, I need to not be that cocky. I want this podcast to be something. Let's just focus on growing it at the moment. Yes. Anyway. Trivia with Tyler. Just because we're running on to an hour and 45 at this point. Sorry, uh, guys. Yeah, this is going to be a long episode, but I'll make up for it next week because mine will probably be short. <laughs> <laughs> mine tend to be on the shorter side just because I don't have as much time. All right, so. Lazy. Yeah, that too. A smidge. Anyway, uh, so. <clears throat> Martin Scorsese. Scorsese? How do you say his last name? Scorsese. Scorsese. <laughs> Martin Scorsese, after re requiring 19 takes to get a scene right in his film, Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore, praised one particular six-year-old extra, saying, quote, she ate 19 ice cream cones and didn't get <laughs> sick. That girl's going to be an actress. Oh. End quote. That girl was future Academy Award-winning actress Laura Dern. Yes! <laughs> That's awesome. That is an amazing Tyler Nugget. Oh, yes. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Final thoughts. I smell popcorn. Do you smell popcorn? <laughs> Okay, I guess no. not. No. All right. Well, anyway. Do you have popcorn? I don't. My roommate might, but I, I don't. I was going to say, does your roommate have popcorn? Nope. Not, I don't know. Maybe. Anyway, what you think about this? Careful. You're about to pull your headset out. Oh, sorry. Um, obviously, I liked it because I asked you for another splash. I also dipped um, back in, uh, mainly because I ran out halfway through your tail. Um. And I wanted some for the end, and then I drank pretty much all of that. Uh, I got to figure out what a finger is in these Glenclaren glasses. So, opinion. Um, you're going with me first, huh? I mean, I'll go first if you want. I I don't know. I really like it. Um, I don't. It's definitely one of the better we. Uh, better whiskeys that we've had and a couple of them. Um, not that I remember what whiskeys we've done recently. I just know I rated some of them bad. I don't know. I know I rated last week's not great. This is definitely better than last week. So we've got, let's go on, oh, this is going back 
Uh, episode 25, you did an eight, which was the Ohishi. Mm-hmm. 26 was the Belgian single malt. You rated a three. Mm-hmm. Uh, 26 versus 27. 27 is the Glenlivet single malt. 15 years, you rated that a 10. That's the good. 28 episode, you rated a 5. 29, you rated a 3. And 30, you rated a 5. So you've been all over the place in the last I've five I've been episodes. all over the place. But yeah, the last three have been pretty like, eh. I'd say they've been eh. Okay. The highest was a 5, and that's right there in the middle of the road. So uh, this is... Yeah, two know. fives and a three. Yeah, this is this is the best whiskey I've had in a since month. The Glen I guess. Levin. S- since the Glenlivet, yeah. Um, and it is a, I guess it's a bourbon. It's a Tennessee whiskey, mm-hmm. which I don't think they call a bourbon. Um, but it's sweet like a bourbon. I really like it. This is definitely a whiskey I can sit here and sip on as. You've seen it's very smooth. It's super smooth. I really enjoy it. Um, I hmm. I am gonna sound. You know what? No, you talk a little bit about it. I'm gonna think. I'm gonna think for a minute. You talk. Um. I mean, I echo everything you said. Uh, obviously, I went back first to the bottle while you were giving your story because. I was drinking more and you were talking more, just the way it goes sometimes. Um, it is, like I said, it's very smooth. It's not overpowering. Depends on how you drink it, how you swallow it. Sometimes I get a lingering burn in my throat. Sometimes I don't get much burn at all. Um, and if I do get burn on those, it's like through my nose. So with that being said, it, it's not an overpowering burn either way. Uh, the flavor profile is really good. I was actually a little hesitant about this because, um, uh, you know, as I touched on a little bit last week and you can learn about on our website, there's what separates a Tennessee whiskey from a bourbon is that it's done with through the charcoal. It's uh, filtered through charcoal. Um, so I kind of have a bad taste in my mouth as Literally, sometimes literally and figuratively with scotches that are peat malted that have that overly smoky flavor to it. So I was a little worried about this, um, but it's it's very smooth and I'm very, I enjoy it. So I would pull this out of the cabinet just to go sit on the porch and have a cigar with. Um, I would, I don't know what the price range was on this, because fifty, like said, according to uh, my website 50? that I stole stuff okay. off of, yeah, fifty for a seven fifty milliliter, however big this is. Okay, yeah, that's a that's a um, yeah fifth. Um, I can't say that I would necessarily buy this all the time. This would be like my go to if I was just gonna sit on the porch. But it is one that I would definitely pull back out of the cabinet, and I would be happy to have in my cabinet again. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a I'm gonna take a page out of Megan's book. Um, <laughs> I'm not getting nearly as crazy as Megan. Uh, I was thinking in my head I would give it like a six and a half, but you know what? I'm gonna give it a seven, seven and a half. 
because I'm always in the middle. So I'm going to go seven, a solid seven, maybe a solid, seven and a half. Solid seven. Okay. Um, I 100% agree with your sentiments. I, this isn't something I can see myself having to have in my cabinet all the time, but it's one that I would like to have in my cabinet and I would definitely go back to it. Um, I regret that I only shot it once and I have to drive so I can't do it again, but shooting it tasted amazing the one time I did it. Um, I really like sipping on it too, but man, something about shooting it, like it, the, the flavor went like went up through my nose and it, it was so good. That's interesting because I can't stand when that happens. Oh, I I don't enjoy that feeling and the flavor. I just shot that last little bit. uh, It's a turnoff for me. Oh man. I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, and so this, for me, is one of the few whiskeys that could be either a shooting whiskey or a sipping whiskey. I would not mess this whiskey up by mixing it with anything. Um, it is something that should be drank pure. Maybe with an ice ball, I would try it chilled. But even then, like, the flavor is so pure and so good. Um Uncle Nearest is doing something right. I'm going to I'm going to hang out with you Tyler and I'm going to say a 7. This is a good whiskey. I like it. All right. Two sevens. Um I I would I'm I'm going to disagree a little bit with what you said there. Um just on the mixing thing. I this is one that I would mix. Really? I would drink it straight. It it's good. I, f- I can see it being good both ways. Oh, I couldn't I couldn't ruin it by mis- mixing it. I don't want any that, other well, taste. I, I, and I think that's mm. what I struggled with is it's something it's not something that I felt it was too good to be mixed. It was right on that cusp and and it fell just below I could drink this as a whiskey sour. Okay. So in, I guess in that range, I would be okay with it. I would not do this with like a soda. Okay. I wouldn't do something that overpowers its personal flavor. Okay. I can see that. Um, Honestly, I've never really been a big whiskey and soda person. I lived off Jack and Cokes for oh, a little man. while. No, uh, I lived. I lived <laughs> off. When when I say mixing, I think of something like a Long Island iced tea, or something like that, where it's you. You don't really even taste it. Um, a whiskey sour. Yes, this would be great for a whiskey sour as well. Um, if the price point, the reason why I'm hesitant and why I, I put it so close to being like. Something I would mix versus something I wouldn't mix is because of the price point. If it was cheaper, I it would be closer to the mixing stage. But it's a little, it you know, it's fifty bucks. It's not quite in that thirty, twenty to forty dollar range. So it's a little pricier. So I don't want to mix it as much. I kind of want to enjoy a little more. So that that that's more my reasoning on that. Yeah. So, yeah, but, I get you. Um. This is definitely something I want. I want people to go out and try, though. I think this company deserves some recognition. Yeah. I I mean, I'm 
very pleased with this whiskey. Mm-hmm. I'm honestly, I don't remember what friend Shelby and her brother's uh, review of it was. I don't remember what they told me, if they liked it, didn't like it, what. So if you guys want to write in, if you're still listening after an hour and 56 minutes, if you're still with us, Oh, please God, this is going to be like our longest episode, I think. Email us, write us. Well, the good news is this is one thing. If, you, if you're if you smart and you pay attention, you caught on. We didn't do mail time today because nobody's oh. freaking writing to us. They're so not. I've, I've sent out like four personal challenges this time to send us emails. We have like, because fucking Pinecast is so weird with our subscribers. We have like 100 subscribers, at least. Fucking write us, please. <laughs> please. That was Megan putting the hammer down on her challenge for you guys. Just even if just write in and say hi. Let us know you're there. Let yeah. us know you exist. I mean, let us know you're not we're bots. Gonna, we're gonna keep doing it regardless. I mean, but. that's true, yes. But I want, like I said, I'm I want this, I'm Slytherin, I want this to be something. I wanna I wanna take this all the way, man. And if you're on YouTube, I'm gonna go all the way and there's Navia. my dog. Navia getting up on me a couple times during all this during this episode. <laughs> so anyway, I think on that note, we've uh, gnawed on your guys' ears for long enough. We have. It has been fun, though. Um, yes, I hope this you guys, a great topic. Good I hope job, you guys Megan. enjoyed uh, Frank Abagnale Jr. as much as I did. Thank you, Tyler, for thanking me. Applause. You did a great job. Thank you. I love research, so I enjoy doing this portion of it for oh, sure. Oh, boy. Well. We and and that honestly might be something just to throw it out there to be completely transparent with everybody. We might have more Megan research episodes just because of schedules and whatnot. We've talked about that mm-hmm. uh, in the past. And he works two jobs. I only work one, so he does technically work more hours than me. And yeah, I, I, I'll just be transparent with people. Like uh, for the last six months, the way my life has gone is I get every other Sunday off. Um. And I've just run myself ragged doing that. And so. Hopefully you guys like my topics because they might be something that appears more it, often. It might be more of a <laughs> two to one ratio, um, but we'll see. We'll yeah. see how that goes right now. We're going to keep it at every other week Yep. and see what happens. But anyway, right. on that note, we're going to stop gnawing on you. All right. I've had fun this episode, guys. I hope you have had fun. Had have <laughs> I hope you have had fun as well. Um, please, if you have, rate us, review us, hit subscribe, follow email us, us, email us, do all the things with social media things. Even if it's bad things. Even if it's bad things. If you hated this and you barely chugged along, let us know. Um, if you made it five minutes in and then left, well, never mind. You, you're not going to hear this. this. <laughs> anyway, let us know what you think of our podcast, what we're doing We love you guys. We thank you guys. And most of all, we want to tell you, don't drink and drive. Cheers. Together we make one smart.